Hello and welcome to The Thriller Zone. I'm your host, David Temple. My special guest on this episode is thriller writer Meg Gardner. As an Edgar-winning novelist who writes fast-paced and nail-biting Hitchcockian thrillers, Meg knows more than a thing or two on how to lure people in and keep them turning pages deep into the night. The dark corners of the night, to be exact. With three powerful series to her credit, the Evan Delaney, Joe Beckett, and Unsub series, as well as three standalone thrillers, Meg shows no signs of slowing down. In fact, Amazon Studios snagged her rights to the dark corners of the night, and thanks to the brilliant agent producer skills of the Story Factory's Shane Salerno, we'll be anxiously awaiting for Caitlin Hendricks to keep us glued to the screen when the show debuts very soon. Now, Meg was born in Oklahoma City, raised in Santa Barbara, and educated at Stanford. And I could go on and on about all her accolades, but I would rather get right to it with one of my very favorite authors, the beautiful, talented, and oh-so-funny Meg Gardner. You have the classiest backdrop uh, I've seen. Well, thank you. It took me a while to realize that if we were always going to be, like, Zooming, I needed to get rid of all the stacks of junk that were in my office and like actually make it look like it was a, a place where a grown-up could sit. <laughs> for yeah. a little bit. I, used to, I followed rate my Skype room right. on Twitter, which was rate my Skype room, which would like, it would judge. It was just extremely judgy about people's zoom backgrounds. So I, um, I decided I would clean up my act. I heard about that. I've actually had people say, you know, uh, and this is back when I was just doing audio. They said, you know, um, and I tried my hand at the video and just it was miserable. They said, you know, you actually can get rated by this company. I'm like, what? Oh, yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't a company. It's just it's just a dude out there of, of just being um, either snarky or, or happy. <laughs> Oh, 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 I thought it was like a, a, some kind of official, like if you pass this, that you were some kind of, you were in the uh, the cool crowd. No, well, no, there's just a dude, a dude on Twitter who calls it Rate My Skype Room, and he posts, posts pictures and says that this one looks like, your background looks like a hostage video, or this one looks like you're like. <laughs> Yours is nice and cool. I like the depth. I like the colors. I like the lamp. And, uh, you know, it's very clean, very, yes, there you go. Last time I saw you was Warwick's in La Jolla. Mm -hmm. And I think we were talking about, well, it could have, no, it had to have been uh, the dark corners of the night. What? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, great turnout. Always fun. fantastic. You were delightful. Well, thank you. I was so happy that you came. I was, it's always, it's always like, is there going to be anybody there? You know, they could have one seat set up and you just stare at it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure who that hack was that was with you. Some guy, he wandered in off the street. And I asked him if he'd be, if he, I told him I'd buy him a slice of pizza if he'd sit in the other chair. Yeah. Homeless guy really knows how to interview. Yeah, just lucky me. <laughs> John Winslow. He, I'm telling you what, man, I, I find myself gushing entirely too much about that guy. Uh, there's just mm -hmm. something about him that you can't not like, but isn't he a sweetheart? He is. He's and he's extremely generous. He's been very generous and helpful to me, and I appreciate it more than I can say. Yeah. You know, and he lives an hour from here. I know. 
I know. I mean, he had to drive. He, yeah, he he drove all the way out to, to La Jolla, which I think he would have rather sat at home and done it by Zoom. But he was extremely <laughs> generous. I don't know. I think I think he likes the limelight. I got to see him also another. Uh, let's see. It was after that. Got to see him and Adrian McKinty at uh, the Mystery Shop. Mysterious uh, Bookshop in uh, New York. Uh, yeah. No, great he's great. I mean, he's got he's got a very he's got a he's an excellent raconteur. So uh, so yeah. I, I never knew he was such a kidder until you you put him in a room with like Adrian and they're just oh gosh yeah I imagine so yeah. Anyway, so back to work. So what have you been doing? First of all, how did how did COVID go and treat you? Let's start there. And and what have you been doing since? Dark Likewise, uh, Warwick says you. I'm sure you. This was the same for you. That was. I mean. After that, every day it got weirder and weirder until, you know, um, uh, by the time I was, you know, the next week as I was coming home from the end of book stuff, I, you know, the, the jokes had stopped and I was calling my husband frantically and saying, you know, like, get a machete, go to the supermarket and start stocking up now, because if you wait till I get off the plane, <laughs> we're going to starve. Um, so then, uh, you know, everything, I, I stayed, I stayed home. I stayed home for, for, for 15 months and it was, um, I'm fine. We, we, we're, we've stayed healthy. We're vaccinated. Um, everybody in my family has stayed healthy so far. Uh, the two out of the three kids are, have, are, are fully vaccinated. Um, the, 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 the third is in England and waiting for his second dose. Uh, but, you know, it became, it got, I got cabin fever. I, I felt like a, a squirrel trapped in a, in a hollow tree after a while. It was just, it was, it was just crazy. But on the other hand, I kept thinking I'm scattered. I'm unfocused. I'm not going to be able to do anything. And I, I, I was hugely productive when I look back on it, which I guess, okay, lock me in my office and tell me if I step outside, <laughs> I'll, I'll turn I'll die, then I guess maybe I'll sit down and write. Right. <laughs> How about you? Well, it's so funny. People have asked me on a, a several occasions, oh my God, David, how are you doing? Oh, I'm like, nothing changed. <laughs> I sit inside a room all day writing and I sat inside a room all day writing. I didn't go to, I've got a couple of favorite coffee shops nearby and I've, the Encinitas Public Library, which <laughs> if you've never seen it is stunning. It is one of the best views in town. So I, I tend to sit there and just kind of, gaze so that was gone Mm -hmm. yeah just kind of a piece of cake and I I I I caught a couple of my friends who were who were writers who said uh, I said you know so come on tell me what you've been working on well yeah so distracted by all the COVID that I couldn't really write and I'm like but it's you're 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 purposely I, I, I have I have yeah at first I felt like that I was just kind of like what's going on what's going on and I was just right. you know addicted to to whatever the latest findings and research and everything was but then eventually deadlines are are wonderfully focusing so that that was that was possibly one of the reasons it was uh, so helpful my husband also has he he works at home he travels quite a bit but uh, has is primarily uh, he's in tech and he had already primarily been working remotely, but we realized that if we were both here full-time, 24-7, 365, that our work styles in adjacent rooms are extremely diff- different. But um, thank God I discovered uh, noise-canceling headphones. <laughs> oh, aren't they the best? Unbelievable. Fabulous. Oh, and you know what? I-, I am looking forward to this. Do you have the, do you have the Bose? Or do you I, have the- have, I have the Beats Solo Pro. 
Fantastic. Okay, yeah. So it's about the same thing. But I should, yeah, I should write to Dr. Dre and tell him he had saved my marriage, but <laughs> whatever. It's funny, Tammy, uh, Tammy works in her office, uh, aka bedroom down the hall. So when she's on Zooms and I'm on Zooms, you know, we just try to keep our... Yeah. Well, and I should, I mean, yeah, we can, we can complain as long as, as long as we want. All my kids are out of the house. I was not also running, you know, multiple Zoom classrooms, right. <laughs> trying to get the bandwidth and, uh, and run a small business. Uh, so we're, we're fine. We're absolutely fine. I've been able to travel now, get out to see my mom, get out to see my daughter. So uh, life is okay. Nice. Where is mom? Mom's in Santa Barbara. Oh, that's right. You spent lots of time there. That's where I grew up. So yes, mom's in Santa Barbara. Uh, daughter is in Menlo Park. So um, it's it's been it's been nice some nice travel that I've been able to get out and breathe and remind myself what summer in California is like versus Austin, Texas. <laughs> I would all right. There's there's two things. First of all, Santa Barbara for those who watching who don't know anything about it is probably quintessentially, a, I call it bubble of perfection. It's Austin, however, I have learned from my friends, uh, Susie Spencer and May Cobb and uh, others like that, that Austin is a little on the warm side. Occasionally. Yeah. Occasionally, but it's a wet heat. <laughs> yes. <laughs> just stand in the garage after you come back from walking to the mailbox and just put uh, a fan on yourself for an hour. And speaking of Austin, I hear the, the city is blowing up. Well, yeah, I mean it's 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 expanding massively, and they're they're happy to to gobble up everybody who wants to to turn up from anywhere else in the world. So, uh, I mean, constructions is massive. Um, you know, traffic follows uh, with that. But uh, you know, still, it's still, you know, it's, it's a it's a good it's a good city. It was a good place for us to land and. Um, when we when we had moved back from England uh, to to the U.S. and you know, fun city, huge outdoor lifestyle, great food scene, great music scene. There's a book scene. Um, Texas Book Festival is here, which is amazing and enormous. You know, every year forty thousand people uh, attend. You know, over the weekend. So yeah. Note to self: Austin Book Festival, Texas Book Festival. Oh, Texas. Oh, they even closed downtown. They closed down the main, the, the main drag downtown Congress Avenue and the, they hold half of it. They, a lot of it on the state Capitol grounds. And it's, I see the C-SPAN bookmobile is here and you know, it's a, uh, it's a big deal. So. I got to see you at Thriller Fest 2019. I'm just curious. Cause I want to talk about that. How, how does this compare to that? Well, it's, it's just a book festival. So it it's, it's not, the same kind of a festival book. Thriller Fest, which is really a writer's conference, which is uh, sessions with authors, uh, several days just about sessions about craft, about, you know, different aspects of the craft of writing, author interviews uh, on, on on a couple of the days. And Thriller Fest really has become more focused on the business of writing and the craft of writing. They've got a master, you know, master craft classes for that you can sign up for a day with with a published author who will, you know, workshop uh, your your stuff. They have a lot of sessions about publishing. They have, you know, pitch sessions with agents. The Texas Book Festival, it's inviting Colson Whitehead and Tom Hanks and, you know, famous people to come and have uh, and have thousands of people come listen to them. And then and then they've got all the other author panels on different on different topics as well. But it's it's open, it's free to the public. And they, like I said, they have usually have around 40,000 people uh, over the course of the weekend. 
attend as opposed to Driller Fest has, we'll have, you know, several hundred. So yeah, that's crazy. We got tacos for everyone here. <laughs> it's okay. They don't, they don't run out. This whole taco thing has become this whole uh, subculture. Um, I'm starting to see it show up as, you know, it used to be five gold stars if you did something good. Now I'm starting to see five gold tacos. Or well, yeah, I mean, as far as as far as cults go, there are worse ones to join. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So back to Thriller Fest. That uh, we had to take off, of course, 2020. Um, 2021 was virtual. I hear from KJ Howe that it's coming back in. 22 in early June, I want to say. Mm-hmm. Late May, early June. Yeah. You're going to be there. I am hoping I will be there. Yeah. Uh, I have a child who lives in New York City, so there's there's always uh, a reason to attend Thriller Fest. <laughs> what is one of your favorite? It's probably different from your side of the desk than mine, because I want to ask you your favorite thing about that. What, what, what do you always get inspired by? I mean, for a guy who's coming up as a self-publisher, I'm looking for the way the business is run and how to run my business and learn the craft from authors like yourself and so forth. But from your side, besides being, I just want to know what it's like on your side of the table. Oh, as going in as a, as a already published author. I mean, I, I, I'm a joiner. I enjoy conferences. I enjoy, I mean, I sit at my desk all year uh, talking to the people in my head. So uh, having a, a conference or a convention um, where I can get out and uh, meet up with like-minded folks as, as a reader, as well as a writer, and just spend several days doing nothing but talking about the topic I love the most right. <laughs> in the world about writing and books, that's, uh, that's like... Um, that's just like playtime for me. And I just, I just, I just love going to that. I mean, um, Thriller Fest has, uh, again, it's in New York City. So that's always been a huge draw for me. I, I love having a chance to get, get to New York. And the past few years, I've always, I've done just panels at Thriller Fest, which is, you know, talking about, you know, like whatever topics, like the bad guy or, you know, heroes who wear black hats or, or, or some, you know, they have all kinds of different topics for every, for right. every session. Um, but doing the, the craft fest part of it as well, which is, you know, there's, which means that there's one person who gets up and and lectures essentially on a topic for, for 40, 45 minutes. And I have found that extremely um, a lot of fun and extremely helpful for my own writing, because as always, when you teach something, you have to, you have to prepare it and you have to make explicit and understandable concepts that may only have been intuitive to you up till then. Okay. My daughter is trying to to FaceTime me here. So I'm going to have to tell her that. Mommy's busy. Sorry. Yeah, go right ahead. It's okay. That's that's why we edit. Okay, let's take a short break while Mama Bear talks to her cub. And uh, when we come back, we'll talk about Meg's Edgar Award and much more. Stay with us. From Blackstone Publishing, the dark corners of the night by Meg Gardner. Don't miss it. This is a great one, says Stephen King. Brilliantly written, an unforgettable story. Stunning, says Don Winslow. Janet Ivanovich says this is a fantastic series of books by Edgar Award winner Meg Gardner. Meg Gardner is an astonishing writer. I couldn't turn the pages fast enough, says Tess Gerritsen. Meg Gardner treats readers to her very best work yet. I'm so high on this book, says the real book spy. 
Meg Gardner is one of my favorite authors. She always delivers a terrific read since Karen Slaughter. The Dark Corners of the Night, available everywhere ordered now. Hi, this is Meg Gardner, author of The Dark Corners of the Night, and you are enjoying The Thriller Zone with David Temple. And we're back. Okay. I wanted to ask you something. You have got, I'm going to show a little bit of my ignorance, but that's okay for me because there's plenty to go around for everyone. Can you tell me the hierarchy of awards that an author can get? Like your Edgar winner multiple times. Is there one Edgar? I've I've won one Edgar, been nominated once. Okay. I've been been a judge for the Edgars twice. I want to give you Edgars for everything, I think is what it is. He's just my, my, my buddy there on the shelf back there. Oh, nice. Again, I cleaned up the I cleaned up the office and made sure that he that Edgar was uh, prominently displayed instead of a box of Kleenex. So there's multiple awards. Is there a what, what's the highest? Well, I would Is say, of course, the Edgar, and then maybe Wheel of Fortune, and then the Nobel Prize. But okay, uh, I mean, I mean, in the world of literature, clearly, the the, the, no, the being awarded a Nobel Prize for your body of life's work would be the the ultimate. But um, yeah. And this, this is, of course, biased by my having won an Edgar and having uh, served as president of the Mystery Writers of America more recently, that I, I think the Edgar is um, is the most prestigious uh, award in crime writing. It's it's juried award. I mean, they have a panel of, of professional of, of professional authors who are who, who judge it. The the Dagger Awards in Britain um, from the, the the Crime Writers Association. Those are also extremely um, extremely prestigious. There are a lot of of, of well established uh, awards. Uh, the the Anthony Awards, the the Berries, um, the the International Thriller Award is is much more recent. I mean, that's that's been started since Thriller Fest was um, was inaugurated now, what, 10, 15 years ago. So, um, but it's it's always wonderful to, to, to get recognition from your peers. There's there's nothing wrong with that. It's it's really validating. It's lovely. It's something that can be put on the, you know, the, the cover of your novel uh, from now till till the end of time. And um, New York Times bestselling author, that's that certainly is up there. I'm not yet a New York Times bestselling author. No, no, no. I'm saying a New York Times bestselling author would be because it says to me that it's chosen by your fans, the, the audience, readers. I, I, I mean, I, I can't imagine that. It's well, yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, it's extremely competitive. It has a huge cachet. That's a very small list that comes out every week. So it's, it's extremely tough to, to crack. It doesn't even necessarily mean that you sold the most books in the country that week. By by any by any measure, <laughs> New York Times does not just tabulate the total number of books sold um, in in the United States in a week and then and then list them on its on its site. Okay, because tabulating how many books are sold is an extremely difficult. Uh, task. Not every, um, not every bookseller, you would have to have a, a database that, that, that submits. There are, there are um, a number of bookstore, independent bookstores in the United States that the, the New York Times relies on to send them their sales data every week. Um, they, they also rely mysteriously on some algorithm and, and book scan and uh, Ingram and all kinds of other things. But there, there is no master database of books sold in the United States every week. And there are plenty of people who, um, 
who sell huge amounts of uh, numbers of books and and may never uh, may never make the the New York Times bestseller list. And for instance, if uh, I don't know that self-published authors are are recognized on on the list at all, and they're, they're I mean, that, and that's that's a really tough nut. To, to crack at a, at a huge level. I mean, I, I, I know people who are extremely good at independently publishing and they, you know, they're very successful, but um, the, the kind of recognition that you would get from having, you know, the, the gray lady put its, uh, you know, put its stamp on it is uh, might be elusive in that situation. Yeah. I'm trying to remember how I got turned on to you. I think I remember seeing China Lake. This is so odd. I was doing an analysis in my head, uh, for some book covers and I ran, I was researching and I remember seeing China Lake and I'm like, Oh my God, that kind of says exactly what I want. And then I started reading about you. It was probably shortly thereafter. And I, I'd love to, I'd love to impress you by saying, and I've read all of your books, but I, I picked up unsub and I was like, Holy crap, this is great. And then I went right into, into the black nowhere. And then of course I saw you and I picked up the dark corners of the night and I, that's it's so funny. It's like picking a favorite book is like picking your favorite child because often the book that gets me introduced to someone has a visceral connection that I go, Oh my God, that's the book, your character, the way and, and God, Meg, I don't know if my audience has gotten bored of it yet, but I use you as an example in about every single friggin' conversation. Matter of fact, on a recent edition with um, Sharon Doring, I went all just, I was all Meg love forever because I could have stopped you. <laughs> yeah. No, you have this ability to turn a phrase and to, first of all, uh, I'm, I'm humbled by your vast uh, vocabulary. And I, and I've, I've often said to my wife, do you think she sleeps with a thesaurus? Cause her words are just pointing, pointing. Let's see. It's what uh, there. Uh, I think it's right there. It's the okay, the big fat one. Joke. All joking aside, you have just the most beautiful way with description and words. Well, I, mean, I, I appreciate you the fact that you think so. No, no, no. I you. There's a couple of guys, a couple of people that I think of. Well, Raymond Chandler back in the day. I loved his terse. Uh, dialogue, just the way it was always jumpy pam And then I grew into really love Elmore Leonard because of the way he just trimmed every square inch of fat off of any sentence. And I'm like, mm-hmm. when you read Elmore Leonard at length, then you realize, man, I am just a babbling fool. <laughs> but then I discovered Pat Conroy, and this is coming back to you. So Pat Conroy in a paragraph would paint this languorous, luscious, lovely scene that could say so much with so few words, although he used plenty of words, that would just make your mind expand. And every time I read your stuff, I think of that. I mean, that's, that's also the, the, um, the brilliance of editing, <laughs> that, that, that having a chance to do a second, a third, a fourth, however many drafts, that you you hope that you will improve the prose with every with every draft, uh, and it took me a long time to learn that being able to turn a phrase or or come up with a quip in dialogue was wonderful. It was fun. It you know it made me feel sparkly. It's not enough. Uh, that doesn't make a book. So of course, uh, if 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 a turn of phrase comes to a writer 
go with it. The inspiration is is always wonderful. If a if a fantastic uh, uh, interchange and dialogue pops into your head, write it down. Uh, don't ever just rest on that though, because none of it's going to matter unless you have you know, absolutely powerful characters who are in a really dynamic conflict in a, in a story with a big hook that, you know, builds to a gripping conclusion. So that's what, that's what polishing is for. When you come to the last, you know, when you come to the end, you can, you know, you, you, you find that dialogue that's just kind of sitting there like a wet washcloth and you, and you slap it into shape. <laughs> you know, the, the reason we love mysteries and thrillers is because it makes us try to figure it out. And we, the, we turn the page to to take that speed and run with it and escape and love every minute of it. And I've, I'm trying to think of if it was Into the Black Nowhere or Dark Corners of the Night. At the end, when I thought it was like, dun, 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 dun. And then all of a sudden, oh, well, there's more. Dun, 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 dun. Okay, well, they can't go anymore. Dun, 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 dun. Oh. <laughs> Okay. Well, you know, I will tell I will tell you two 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 sources that taught me how to do stuff like that. One is okay. is Jeffrey Deaver, who uh, you know who um, is the master of misdirection and the master of the 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 twist followed by the twist followed by the twist. And he spends a lot of time uh, before he sits down to actually draft a book. He spends a lot of he spends months uh, thinking up. Uh, the book and those twists, and the the second is uh, Tex Avery and um, and uh, and Chuck, who's who's the uh, the Looney Tunes director Chuck Jones. That you don't just have a uh, a punchline, then you have a twist into a second punchline, and then a third twist into the third into the third punchline. So watch watch every Roadrunner cartoon, <laughs> and see how it how it never just how it never just it just rests on a, on a single joke. It's there's always a couple of more coming. So those were those you were are so yeah. right. I'm sitting here going back. It's like it's it's not just the cliff, but it's the cliff, and then it drops, and then there's a twig, and then oh you fall, and then oh wait there's one dangling leaf, and then the piano lands on him. Yeah, right. <laughs> Or the massive anvil. Uh-huh. Jeffrey Deaver, uh, I've tried to, I think the very first book I read of his may have been when he, had, I want to say it, maybe he had taken on the James Bond franchise. Mm-hmm. Carte Blanche. Yes. And I was like, wow, this mofo can write. Mm-hmm. And you're right. I never thought about that. But I'm going to go back and reread that because I want to, that really is a, a craft, a talent to up, yeah. up, up, up. Yeah, and it's all you've all got to you've got to build it in there. You've got to build it in when you think it up. You've got to go back and 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 try to figure out how this fits with character. Does it? Is it? Will it actually advance the plot? Will it surprise and delight the readers without making them think, oh, that this is just stupid and 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 ridiculous? It's all got to fit. Yeah, it's sometimes I say to myself, uh, the people who. Uh, what did I read? Okay, I don't want to mention that because I loved the book, but there was this one element that they did, and it was they were running to this, and then they had a car chase, and they run to this, and then it was a motorcycle and this. And there was a point, I, my wife and I, re- I handed it to her, she read it right away, and she said, uh, mm-hmm. Oh, okay, so there's a chase. Got it. Move on. Mm-hmm. So, China Lake, Mission Canyon, Jericho Point, Crosscut, Kill Chain. That's mm-hmm. Evan Delaney, Joe Beckett, Dirty Secrets Club, uh, The Memory Club, Liars, Lullaby, uh, The Nightmare Thief. And when those series came to you, you you said to yourself, hey, you know what? This feels like two or three, maybe four books. Do you 
see it that way? Do you go? Not at all. I mean, I just, I wrote China Lake. I wrote China Lake. I had an idea for the character and the, and the, and the story. And so I wrote China Lake <laughs> and uh, then I was offered a, a publishing contract uh, in the UK with Hodder and Stoughton. And they said, um, we'd like you to write another book. Can you write a sequel? And I've said, of course I can. And then I panicked because I had no idea what I was going to write about because I had only thought about China Lake. Uh, so I did not conceive of it as a, as a series, uh, but they asked me if I could turn it into one. So I, um, so I did, uh, but of course, after, after, there are five books I will, I will say to anybody, anybody who was out there, cause I get this question still a lot is that, will I, will I ever continue the series? And I do have the sixth book, uh, kind of, kind of outlined. I don't have a space for it on the publication schedule yet um, because the the fifth book kind of ends on a, on a cliffhanger. And now it's been years and people are kind of wondering, are they still holding on to that cliff or is that, you know, like, are the roots starting to tear out? Are they going to fall off or what? Right, right. But the thing was with that series, because I just wrote the, the book that just came to me and was a, you know, a passion project, and I didn't consciously try to craft it as a crime series. Uh, Evan Delaney is a, a journalist. She, she's a writer. She's an, and a and a former lawyer. So she is not in the crime business, you know. And the the China Lake was about um, was about her family, and uh, you know she's trying to protect her nephew from um, this apocalyptic sect. That his that his mother has joined uh, while his dad is uh, is uh, he's a naval aviator and he's deployed uh, you know at sea. So Evan is taking care of this little boy, this six year old boy, and the mother comes back and wants him, and she's going to take him off to this you know this cult compound. And Evan has to try to keep them from getting getting hold of him. Uh, so that was that was the the thread of this of the story. I didn't correct consciously crafted as well. Evan is going to be a crime fighter. She's going to, you know, she's going to have uh, adventures like Kinsey Milhone or, or V.I. Warshawski oh, yeah. or, or anything like that. So um, to, to create a series then with a, with a character who uh, is, uh, is not in law enforcement, is not a PI, um, doesn't really uh, doesn't really have uh, a, a career as an investigator other than being other than being an investigative journalist. So uh, how how was I going to continue that series indefinitely? Uh, became became a question. I ended it on a, on a cliffhanger, <laughs> and by that right. point, I'd had um, my I'd had a concept for uh, the Dirty Secrets Club, which was not a story that fit with anything that Evan Delaney would be involved in. So if, if you're going to write a story, you've got to write, write the story, but it's, it needs to center on the character who has the most at stake in that story and who, who fits with that story. So I created um, a, an entirely different world for, uh, for, for that book centered around, um, centered Joe, on, Beckett. Uh, Joe Beckett, who's a forensic psychiatrist who consults for the San Francisco police. So, yeah. So you're you're not going on record as saying that the sixth will drop in the Delaney. No, it's not going to drop. Evan Evan does appear in in the Nightmare Thief. That's a crossover. It's got her and Joe both in that. And uh, I the there's a Evan Delaney prequel short story in a in a in an anthology of short stories. It was uh, published last year. Deadly anthology. Deadly anniversaries, which is just out in paperback uh, this year. So. Um, but uh, for, for people who are going to email me or, or tweet at me, don't, I have not forgotten about these people. 
I still like them. I still like them. They're, they're, they're just sitting in the back room, kind of twiddling their thumbs and looking at their watches, wondering what, what's up with me. And so with Joe Beckett, for instance, when you got to the end of that, those four books, that's when you go, you know what? Enough was said. Or was it like the first story where, hey, do you have any more of this? I mean, that's got to be a, a, an amazing happenstance for someone to just say, I love that and let's make it more as long yeah, as you're feeling it's, it's wonderful. And, you know, part part of it is is what uh, is uh, the, the stories that come to me. Part of it, of course, is uh, the business of publishing where um, if, if publishers are really hot for standalone novels, sometimes, you know, they will say, okay, uh, everybody wants standalone novels now. Uh, what have you got? Do you have an idea for the, you know, for a self-contained book? So um, like I say, I certainly do. And I've uh, published three standalones uh, uh, as well as uh now three series. So it's, it's, it's mix and match. I mean, some stories uh, really do come to a conclusion uh, for, for the characters in their world and uh, they could, but readers love them just as much as, uh, as a series. That's a great question. Does, does that move in cycles? Is there a point where you're like, Oh, everybody wants a series. And then all of a sudden, no, nah, let's just do standalones because I'm thinking of uh, a lot of the authors that I've uh, they do a lot of standalone. So, uh, what what's your take on that and or experience? It's um, readers love series. The, the issue with series sometimes is that readers always want to start at the beginning. So, if you uh, have book sixteen in a series coming out and they've never heard of you, they might say, uh, "I would love to start a new series, but I'm not going to read this one. I got I'm going to go back to to number one and start there." Um, I had a I got an email from a reader who was uh, recently who was very disappointed that he picked up uh, one of the Evan Delaney novels and that it did not say part five on the cover. <laughs> so there's all kinds of stuff in here that 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 I don't know about. Boo-hoo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because I presume that this all happened in the previous four books. Oh. <laughs> well, but- yeah. That's why that's why all the books are listed in order and at the inside the front cover. Yeah. Hmm. Oh, that's what that table of contents yeah, is for. But yeah, a lot of readers will take a, well, as the Brits say, take a flyer on um, on a standalone. That's how a lot of books become, you know, the the big, you know, the big talking points of the summer. It's easy to pick up a, a, a fresh book that's got a fresh idea and, you know, readers will glom onto that joyfully. So, uh, and there's nothing, absolutely nothing wrong with that. But a lot of the, a lot of the big books of the past few years have been, have been, have been standalone novels. Think of Gone Girl, um, The Chain, uh, you know, The Girl on the Train, uh, uh, Falling This Summer, um, The Razorblade Tears. That's, you know, those are, those are all, uh, those are all standalones. So. Uh, There's ahead. so many things rushing through my head, whizzing past. Uh, I'm going to go in reverse order. Razorblade Tears. Did I, did I see a. That's just or... out. That is just out last, uh, a few days ago, uh, last week, uh, S.A. Cosby. It's a Southern rural noir. Yeah. Um, and your husband said, uh, he's going on a flight. He goes, I'm not leaving without that book or something. Did right, I right. See Cause that? he had read, he had read, uh, John Cosby's previous novel a few months ago and he loved it so much that a blacktop wasteland he loved that book so much that he said okay uh i hear this dude has a new book out is that true i said yes he goes okay now i know what i want to read so wow all right question number two so he's an avid reader yes your husband yeah husband yes and he's read everything you've written damn right damn straight girl 
And if you don't, you're not coming home. That's right. And uh, you mentioned another one, T.J. Newman with falling. Have you, yes. Have you seen anything like that happen quite that big and that fast and that? Well, sure, it happens. I mean, it happened with uh, with Dan Brown, with um, you know, with Angels and Demons and uh, right. the Code, Adventure. but but it's but it's a it's a it's a fantastic book. It's a it's a great summer thriller. Absolutely yeah. fantastic and. Uh, you know, she's got the she's got the cred. I mean, it's about an airline pilot who boards his flight, cross country flight, and uh, as he takes off, he gets a message that says, "We have your family. Crash the plane or they die." Uh, so, what's he going to do? Um, and uh, and the author is uh, is a um, spent you know ten years as a flight attendant for Virgin America and Alaska Airlines. So um, yeah. so that gives you like, oh, she's got the inside scoop. She knows what yeah. she's. Doing. But it's it's a it is a rocket sled of a book. Um, so I. Totally recommend it. Yeah, I think I read it. It took me only two days, maybe yeah. maybe two and a half days. Wife read it. She read it in a day and a half. It was we we just ripped through it. Um, I'm trying to think of the last book that. Well, I got to tell you, um, Unsub I ripped through because that was such a poignant, powerful character. And you, this this other thing flashed in my head uh, uh, when you were speaking, and uh, I'm, I wanted to make sure I, I thanked you again, like I, don't, like I don't do this enough. Thriller Fest 2019, I think I had just, I came up, I got you to sign one of my books and we're chatting. I don't know if you remember this. I, I do remember. It was in one of those big rooms where they where you have to hop down off the stage to, to talk to people. Yeah. Yeah. But I had just I gotten a little deflated because I just pitched a book that I took up there with me. And and uh, the gentleman just couldn't have been anymore. No, no, no. And I was <laughs> like, OK. And we talked about it. I've, ta- I've told this story too many times on the show, so I'm not going to tell it again. But I walked in and I was coming in. A, you were one of the first faces I saw. And I, I generally don't try to wear that laundry in public. But um, you were just you're so approachable and so kind. And I made the comment about, man, he just shot that story down. And you said, so? And I'm like, yeah. So <laughs> that's one opinion. And, and secondly, it's your story. I was talking about it. It, it had already been done before. Yeah, but no one's going to tell like you, David. Mm-hmm. I walked away, Meg. I would. You'll you'll never really know what that meant to me. It just it meant the well, world. I'm glad, and I I would stand by that today. Yeah. It's absolutely true. It is. It's hard to hear. It, there's. I mean, there's nothing. It's hard to get a rejection on paper. It's 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 hard to get it in the <laughs> in an envelope or in, in your inbox. Uh, it's 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 awful to, to get it face to face. But, um, and with, when we keep saying, you know, we got to develop a, a thick skin, you know, well, yeah, well, we don't want to, you know, develop, you know, a paper cut, just looking at a piece of paper, but, but you don't want to be a, a rhinoceros about this stuff. It's, it's, it, this is the work of, you know, <laughs> God knows how many years and how much sweat and, and labor and love did you put into it. So it's, of course it's going to sting and it, the, uh, there's no way it's that it shouldn't, but, yeah. but so what? So what? <laughs> so what? <laughs> Two words. You sent me on my way. I, I, I walked on clouds from there. I, I think it was just because I respect you so much. And I thought she, yeah, she's right. And, and I'm, I'm not lacking for confidence. I don't, <laughs> don't, don't worry about that. I didn't get to where I got by being uh, uh, unconfident, but you know, this is a new career. This is my third chapter, my third career. So uh, I'm going in it kind of 
two guns loaded and full barrels and yeah, and, and and I and I, I probably said that to you because I, I I think I trusted you enough that you were that you were smart enough and understand the business enough to know that yeah sometimes what we've what we write won't sell uh, and what that means is that we need to look at what at what we've written and find out number one is it strong enough is there a reason why it didn't you know if if every comment and critique we get you know hits on the same thing like no uh calling it jurassic park about <laughs> these scientists reanimated the dinosaurs really has been done yeah. um, <laughs> that we might listen to that but but being willing to um, to continue to work on our craft and to go on to and to be willing always be ready to write the next thing that um, if, if for some reason our stuff isn't hitting we we've got the we've got more stuff yeah and and to put a button on it is um, I did learn a lot that was that was two years ago now and I I learned enough that said you know you're right is it the best thing it's pretty good. Uh, I went back and worked on it harder again and recrafted some things. But I'm also a big fan of finish it, move on. There's plenty more. I mean, mm-hmm. as you and I both know, uh, you probably do this all the time. Well, of course you do. And we're going to get to crime headlines in a second. All you got to do is pick up a newspaper or uh, hear something on the radio and uh, it'll just trigger a thought. And you're like, huh. What if this were to turn that upside down? So mm-hmm. point taken, um, Tony, and um, uh, moving on. But yet I digress. Mm-hmm. Did we unsub Black Nowhere, Dark Corners? Is there a fourth? Yes. Sub four is uh, is coming. Details very soon. So, okay. Yes. And I do know, I remember I was piddling across. Blackstone Publishing has become some mm-hmm. kind of behemoth. I mean, it's only the largest indie publisher of audiobooks, maybe, I don't know, in the business. And I, I know that they were doing a little co-op, uh, cooperative venture with the, the Story Factory, who uh, helps manage you and your intellectual property. And gosh, if this is already, if I missed it, then somebody just shoot me in the face. I know Amazon bought Dark Corners of the Night. That is still yet to come, correct? Correct. Amazon Studios bought uh, the Dark Corners of the Night for development as a television drama, yes. so um, so that is in process right now. Which means you know they've got a uh, Lawrence Trilling is uh, executive producing it. He's the showrunner. He also uh, makes uh, Goliath with Billy Bob Thornton for Amazon. The, the pilot is uh, is being written. Um, and they've got, you know, they've got a team assembled for all of that. And I hope there will be more news soon, but it's all, it's, I've got a lot of stuff that's like, the stuff is, is, is bubbling, but uh, I'm, I'm being coy about, about exactly what's going on. So That's fine. But you, I just want to tap into your enthusiasm. I don't, I don't need uh, secret details. I, that wouldn't be fair, but that's got to be one of the, I mean, that's my ultimate dream. I mean, I can't think of a more ultimate dream than to write a book and then get it turned on to the screen. What does that <laughs> feel like for you? Oh, it's it's wonderful. It's I'm aware that it's that it's a uh, I I've I've tried deliberately to treat it as the cherry on the Sunday. That I mean, there's so many more books written every year than um, the than television shows or movies ever produced. So it's unlike it's 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 a it's an uphill climb. Anyway, to uh, to get attention to 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 a novel and have it have it optioned for for the screen, so I was absolutely one hundred percent 
delighted by that. Extremely excited to know that uh, you know who what, who was the, the production company and the people behind it uh, are you know extremely professional and wonderful storytellers, and to have some uh, the trust that they will do right by by the material. And like you said, it's a, it's a completely different medium. It's a different me- method of storytelling. So I I'm involved, but I'm not I'm not at, around the table writing you know uh, writing dialogue day by day with the with the with with the primary screenwriters, I, as an author, you have to be willing to let go a bit to know that it need, it will have to be reimagined for for the screen. And if if you can't if you can't do that, then you'd rather, better be in a position where you you get to to create it yourself and and put it out there. Otherwise, uh, don't bother you know don't bother sending it out if if you're going to be a stickler for uh, making sure it's exactly the way it is on the page. But you would like to, I'm assuming. I, I have to believe because you're so hyper creative. You would love to get inside that right room maybe eventually and, oh, and sure absolutely yeah. absolutely yeah it's uh you know I just uh, you know fairly recently discovered uh you know final draft software and that formats everything for you it's so much more intuitive than word I'm like this is a piece of cake no no offense to screenwriters I know how exacting and tough the discipline in the industry is but so that was that was a formatting joke. Yeah, I've written two screenplays and one of them fortunately was able to get turned into a movie by my hand. The format is specific and I thought I knew the format until I showed, I've got a buddy, a long, long time buddy who works at the Warner Brothers and he looked at one of my first screenplays and he he goes, okay, here's the good news. You're not, you know how to use final draft. Here's the bad news. You're about 45 pages over and you're giving me way too much direction. And here's why. And he's like, Mm -hmm. that's a harsh, but really powerful lesson because it's a whole different way to tell the story. But I got to tell you something. I love writing screenplays because, which is, it's going to sound counterintuitive because like with your writing and the writing we all love is color and depth tremors and scares and so you just got you picked up a copy uh, oh a, a, a final, final draft, draft. Yeah. yeah and you're you're digging that have you tried to take one of your stories or just an idea of a story and put it in there just for kicks and giggles oh i ha- i have written you know tr- just tried to do it uh you know, and, and even beyond like the, the dinosaur attack, the Taco Bell kind of, you know, level of this is how you this is how you do the the, the exposition and the and the and the dialogue. But uh, yeah, so we'll see. We'll see where that goes eventually. But uh, right now I'm I'm, I'm stuck into uh, into writing novels uh, and, and hoping to branch out a bit more and flex some more muscles. Now, so TV and film being two different things. Have you had anybody approach you? Um, would you like to do take one of your books and turn it into a movie? I wouldn't point. say no. Again, yeah. <laughs> I'm the only author I know who is who absolutely refused to let her material be adapted with Sue Grafton. She would not let the the Alphabet Mysteries be adapted. She had been a television writer, and she said she knew too much about how the sausage was made, and she didn't uh, want to turn her characters over to anybody. Yeah, I love that series. I read every single stinking one of them until the end. Um, God, she had such a simple, elegant way to tell a story. But yeah, she, I mean, if so if someone, uh, you know, if the MGM helicopter settled on my lawn outside, which I presume they've got helicopters for these things, that, and, uh, and said, hey, we want this book, I would be abandoning you and running outside. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. One of my guilty pleasures of the day is following your crime headlines. <laughs> oh, on and- Twitter, yes. 
Oh my God, on Twitter. And they're just, I try not to comment on too many of them because people have better uh, things to do with their time than see what I go. Really? Are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. Again? What? How are you? De- but here's my point. First of all, I want to know the gestation of that because I, I, I love, I want to hear how your crazy, kooky little mind goes. And number two, so you can ponder on this is give me one that you run across lately that you said to yourself, okay, now this one takes it to a whole new level. Oof, I'd have to go back. There's, there are just so many. It's hard to sort yeah. through them. I, um, life is pretty absurd. And um, there are, uh, thanks to uh, television cameras and cell phone cameras and uh, news feeds, there are plenty of ways to find out just how absurd uh, homo sapiens can actually behave. So uh, I, Twitter can become a, you know, it can become a doom scrolling cesspool of negativity and snark. And I thought I would rather inject some, some levity into that. And being a crime writer, I would just look for dumb crimes. Not everything is a crime headline of the day. Sometimes it's just a, a headline of the day. The mo- the one that got the, the biggest response and the, this year was uh, was the BBC headline: um, "Mystery Beast in Tree Revealed as Croissant." <laughs> like they'd had like a SWAT team and animal control come out to 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 like to like taser this like beast, this strange beast in a tree outside an apartment building, and it was a croissant. So, <laughs> but the, the but the crime headline of the day is is people. People can be dumb. And uh, so just pointing out the absolutely uh, absurd ways they uh, do dumbness in public and get caught for it, um, I use it as a lesson and as a way to just absolutely point and laugh at, at, at people. I try, I try to make sure that I do not I do not generally ever post anything about something where people get seriously hurt. Right, right, right. There's, we're not, I don't, the crime headline of the day is not about a series of gruesome murders or, you know, or, or certainly about animals being injured or, or anything like that. But just, you know, it's like drunken pig attacks cow and cop that comes to, come, that, that, that arrives to stop the melee uh, or, you know. Oh. Woman crashes through through ceiling tiles at uh, at Burger King in attempt to steal the fries. That that kind of that kind of thing. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, uh, and, and sometimes I put the states. Uh, you know, if it happens in a particular state, I put that in the in the um, in the tweet, which is basically to tell the rest of the United States you you're not trying hard enough to keep up with Florida, so you better up your game. <laughs> so. <laughs> And no offense to certain shopping complexes, but why do I see more of the stranger stories happening in or near a Walmart? <laughs> a lot of square footage. They've got, they're, they're big. <laughs> a lot of square footage on the floor. Nicely there. done. Nicely done. I don't but know why. There do tend to be themes and you find out that certain phrasing of, of headlines tends to be funnier. And um, I realize you, you don't comment that often, but uh, Sandra Brown, the, the author, every, every now and then she she comments and she goes naked again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's like, you know, it's like uh, someone uh, captured with uh, with, uh, you know, 175 bowling balls stolen from the alley. Naked. And she's like, why are they always naked? Why are they always naked? Because it's funnier if I find a, find a headline where someone is doing something stupid, uh, literally exposing themselves to ridicule. 
Yeah, you you wonder what's going through their mind. Okay, I could just go steal these, but I'll go naked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm trying to think of the last crazy thing I did naked, but uh, maybe I'll save that for another show. Um, So last night over dinner, um, my wife and I were talking, and I I know this question coming at you has probably got to be in the top three questions you get asked. So you can you can go, Dave, please shut up. I've heard that too much. Or you can go, oh, here you go. And I said, hey, uh, because being in radio, I'd like to hear different opinions. Honey, if you could ask Meg Gardner any one thing, what would it be? She goes, you know what? Because she loved Dark Corners of the Night. Mm -hmm. She read that probably the second fastest I've seen her read anything. And she said, uh, I just want to know. She goes, you talk so highly of her. And and I've seen her her posts and different. She seems so sweet. Where does she come up with these ideas? And I said, well, I'll ask her. I am sweet. That doesn't mean that I can't come up with crazy ideas, you know. The editor says, or an agent says, could, could you write a, a, a really terrifying novel about a serial killer? I say, yes, I could. Give me, give me a chance to think about everything that, uh, that terrifies me and that seems to be terrifying everyone uh, in, in, the, in the culture and is ringing a bell with people's uh, conscious and unconscious uh, fears. And I'll see how I can... Um, can pull that out and turn that into uh, some gripping fiction, send you guys on a roller coaster ride yeah. uh, um, in an emotionally satisfying way. I mean, we all like uh, to take a look at the dark side of things. And, and one of the things that thrillers do is allow us as writers to take readers on that journey, but make, let them feel like we're going to bring them back safely. Oh, you know, we're, we're not going to just have the the roller coaster end, um, uh, or like the the the, the Simpsons, the, the the escalator to nowhere, where people get up and ah, they keep going right. up. Uh, that that we are going to bring the bring it back around uh, to the you know to the platform and let you uh, get off safely, perhaps with your hair a little a little must, but uh, in one piece. So uh, yeah, I mean, we all have. Uh, as Stephen King says, "You want to write a story." Uh, Go down into the basement, dig up the stuff that's down there, and uh, we we just have to be willing to to access. It doesn't mean that I wasn't good at making cupcakes for the you know the second grade classroom. I wasn't a den mother for the Cub Scouts. <laughs> oh, bless your heart, honey. She's not really that evil. She's she's still very sweet. She just got a demented mind. Let's keep yeah. that between us. It all comes out on the page, not out, not in real, not in my actions on uh, on the street. So that's that's good. Well, you know, I think of it this way: <clears throat> When's the last time you got really, really mad at someone or or, or a situation? Not pointing anyone specifically, and you go, "Man, you know what I'd like to do? I'd like to." I have those thoughts quite often, and uh, so I'm talking to Tammy the other day, and I got I was in a mood, and she goes, "Well." What would you say to him? I'm like, say to him, no, I want to take some garden shears and take his fingers off one by one at the middle knuckle until one hand is done and go, now, now how you feeling? <laughs> and she looks at me like, okay. So you guys me. are pretty open about, about your feelings. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you could, you could say that. I, I'm very transparent, Meg. I'll tell you like it is. We watch an inordinate amount of detective shows, and I'm completely sucked into PBS. I don't know why. PBS has a whole different mindset about their detective stories. We're watching uh, Unforgotten right now. I can't get enough of them. And you know, night after night, we we watch two or three episodes at a time. And I'm like, and the other night I said, what is it about me that I just love to watch all this dark humanity? 
And I, I kind of ask you that, what do you think that thing is in us that we just like to peek behind that? And Well, we're, we're nosy. <laughs> we're, we're curious and we're nosy. And uh, we love gossip. We love, uh, uh, like you said, a peek behind the curtain. We like to see uh, how uh, any any uh, arcane, uh, closed-off world actually operates, whether it's uh, the FBI, uh, you know, or Treadstone uh, in the Bourne, you know, the the, right. the the Bourne books and movies, or the Mafia and anti-hero stories, you know, uh, the the Meth Lab that uh, that Walter White uh, uh, runs in Breaking Bad, and um, we sometimes we watch to see see the bad guys get their comeuppance. We like to to look to see how far they're going and wonder how we would behave in the same situation, hoping that we would. Uh, act differently. And I think we also really, in the U.S., Britain, especially uh, the fiction that, that's been written for 90 years, um, or even going back to, uh, you know, back to the 19th century, uh, the whole concept of mystery and detective stories implies that we recognize that there are uh, things can go wrong in the world, that there are injustices, that crimes are committed, and that that's not a good thing but there are forces attempting to put it right. That when chaos uh, causes uh, someone's world to uh, to fall apart, or you know them to be uh, victimized in a crime, that society will recognize that, and that there are people who will act on all our behalves to try to uh, uh, to bring about some form of justice. And they these stories imply that justice is a thing that exists. That we don't just live in this you know nasty, brutish, and short. The state of nature world where you know that anything goes that 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 there are rights and wrongs and that we can distinguish between them and that um, occasionally uh, we can we can put right what is wrong at least at least in some way so they are uh, they can be very dark but they can be essentially hopeful and optimistic and uh, overall I think yeah. That is one of the most concise, well-thought-out answers I, I may have heard in quite some time. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, bravo. <laughs> Let's take a short break, and when we come back, we'll hear what Meg reads in her spare time, who the authors are that she's following, and as we begin to wrap the show, I'll ask Meg a couple of fun, random questions that I'm sure you'll get a kick out of. But first, here's a teaser for a book you have to read this summer. Stay tuned for more of The Thriller Zone. We'll be right back. They kidnapped the pilot's family before takeoff. They gave him an ultimatum. Crash the plane or your family dies. Now one FBI agent on the ground is racing against time to stop a crime 35,000 feet in the air. Will the pilot choose his family or the 144 passengers? Some of the biggest authors in the world are talking about falling by T.J. Newman. Non-stop, totally authentic suspense, says James Patterson. The perfect summer thriller raves Janet Ivanovich. This is Jaws at 35,000 feet, says Don Winslow. Amazing, intense suspense and shocks and scares, Lee Child. This is the best thriller I've read in years, Adrian McKinty. We'll have you in its grips from first page to last, Steve Cavanaugh. Can the FBI save the passengers before the pilot has to choose? Enjoy the flight. The Thriller Zone. 
the first question is, what do you read in your spare time? And the second question is, do you have a favorite author? That's the one that kind of puts you on the spot. But I um, I read very eclectically. Um, I treat I read very widely in the thriller and crime genre. Uh, the reason I write these books, I think, is because I grew up. Uh, and came to adulthood loving thrillers, just absolutely loving them, inhaling them. The you know the, the tension, the suspense, the race against time, the, the, the gigantic stakes, the people who have to make life and death decisions with their backs up against the wall, finding who can rise to the challenge. You know who's going to who's going to fall, who's going to betray, who's going to you know where will courage win out? I mean that just that just swept me away. But um, as far as uh, I read. Uh, I read a lot of nonfiction as well. Uh, I'm trying to uh, make, I mean, I've, I read voraciously. So a lot of my favorite authors, I've already read everything they've, they've written, which means that I get a chance. I'm trying to deliberately make sure I, I, I reach out and, and read authors who are new to me to see what, you know, what, what other voices who I haven't heard are really, are really talking about. Everybody from S.A. Cosby, um, Rachel Housel Hall, Alifair Burke, um, Stephen Graham Jones, who isn't quite crime, he he, he he writes some some horror, just to really find fresh new stories and 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 love the writing and and everything. Favorite authors? I mean, you, I would go on until my computer like blew up here. Just give me two or three hundred, uh, you know. No, no, no. Uh, just... I, will just, I will just give you Stephen King. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. For for reasons uh, uh, cultural uh, and, and personal, he's just always going to be my favorite author. He, I mean, his books just consistently have blown me away since I ever picked up since I first picked up the stand. Um, and uh, since then, he again, he's another he's 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 the biggest dog in American lit, I think, and he has been very kind to me and to so many other writers. It's paying it forward because uh, because people listen to him that it's um, it's been ex- extremely gratifying. He does have a way with words and his volume, his repeated volume, uh, this last little venture, side venture notwithstanding, which is a smaller paperback and I, I can't, it, it's not ringing me right oh, it's hard case time i can't the, t- the title eludes me but yeah he's written for them before um, yeah it looks like a, a pulp fiction brag but boy i, I just I, I am boggled at the volume of words steven is just always it's just a slow steady steep uh lingering staircase to uh, frantic surprise and he understands character and the people he writes about feel extremely real to us on the on the on the page. He understands uh, um, American characters from, from the trailer park to the white house. So uh, he's seriously, he, he, he knows, he knows people from the inside out and he portrays them with, with uh, insight and compassion. Even the worst people, they, they remain human beings. uh, And, uh, and which makes them, which makes the stories feel no matter how out there they are uh, with supernatural elements, they feel um, grounded in, in emotional reality. So uh, he's, he's, he's our, he's our Dickens in that way. (laughs) His stuff is going to last. You know, everybody uh, or most everyone knows who knows you knows you're a prolific writer. You have a way with words. You're very well-spoken. You're a Jeopardy genius. Um, well, 
What is something that people would be surprised to learn about Meg Gardner? I um, I lettered in cross country in college in, in the, at, at Stanford. Yeah, I was on the cross country team. Let's see what else. And uh, this, this the, not everybody knows this, even though it is in my Twitter bio. I'm a reformed mime. I'm a re- re- rehabilitated mime. <laughs> I was a theater kid in high school. I joined the mime troupe because I couldn't sing. <laughs> oh my God, that is so funny. I could it was go fun. On. It was huge fun. <laughs> but I will warn anybody if if you if you uh go out to a performance wearing white pancake makeup and, and black turtlenecks, just say if you stop at the Baskin Robbins on the way back to sixth period, don't be surprised if the next thing you see are the are the sheriffs flashing lights in your rear view mirror because someone has called called 911 and said that um, the Baskin Robbins was being robbed. <laughs> oh God, that's my, I'm just trying to see you doing some mime. I'm, I'm going to see, maybe we can, maybe we can bring some of that back in uh, Thriller Fest uh, 2022. Uh, well, you, that I would, um, I could carve out a little space. I could carve out a box. Yeah, nice. Wrap myself in it in a corner of the room, just like you've got that one behind you. You've got your yes, ma'am. My box would have would I would eventually be easier to get out of because I wouldn't yeah. have to actually get a get a screwdriver to disassemble it. So as we wrap it down, you've been so gracious with your time. Thank you very much, Meg. I, I like to ask a few questions that I'm just it's just pure curiosity. Part of it is voyeur, part of it's just you know my radio background. So I'm like, when you sit down to write. Do you like to listen to music or do you like it silent? And if you do like music, what's do you have a certain flavor that you like to listen to, Jean? Uh, Two-part answer. When I am writing a rough draft, I generally prefer silence. And I prefer now I prefer my noise-canceling headphones because music is, I find music so wonderful and powerful that it that it tends to distract me when I need to um to be putting all my creative focus into uh into crafting the words, especially if there's something with lyrics. That's that when you're trying to write your own words down, I find it very difficult if I'm just writing a rough draft. When I get to the point where I'm editing, uh for some reason that flips a different kind of uh circuit in my brain. And I love to to edit with uh with soundtracks with with movie soundtracks yeah they tend to be atmospheric and uh they rise and fall and they're supposed to lead you through an emotional journey so you pick you pick the right tone and uh put yourself in that frame of mind uh and it, it can really get you into a get you into the zone where you want to be are you a like spotify oh. spotify i don't i have an amazon playlist but also for the dark corners of the night i um it's not a, it's not a spoiler to say that the the killer listens to a lot of of music. Uh, and I was looking for a playlist that might fit the, this person's um, taste. And I was just like Googling like weird topics. And finally I hit on like dark industrial metal. And I thought that sounds like something that would terrify suburban parents. Let me list, let me put together a playlist like this. And that's where I got a lot of the killers uh, uh, favorite songs, but it turns out it's, it's a wonderful playlist. It's extremely melodic and it's full of angst and drama. And so uh, I could listen to that. A lot of Nine Inch Nails. No, do you still have the list? Oh, uh, well, yeah, I went to Amazon and uh, Amazon oh. Music and, and just typed in, in dark industrial metal and it'll, it'll okay. create a playlist for you. <laughs> because I was going to say, I'm a big fan of, I listen to so many different sources, but the nice thing about Spotify is I will build a list 
for this exact same way, whether it's rough drafting or I need to build a tense scene, then I tend to love, you know, Born Identity soundtrack, for instance, Zero Dark Thirty, mm-hmm. Hans Zimmer, uh, Tiesto, which is high beats per minute. And uh, so I, I will often share my my, right. my little... If, uh, when you're on deadline and you have an action scene to edit, I completely heartily recommend the Gladiator soundtrack. Yes. <laughs> oh, nice one. Excellent. Um, you're getting ready to have uh, your favorite wine over a very delicious dinner with your husband you get to invite two friends to the dinner uh living or past uh could be writer could be just anyone i'm just who would you invite hmm uh i would i would serve a sense there and um there are far too many people that i would uh that i would uh love to invite i would uh, since we're in austin i would wave out the i would call to uh, jeff abbott who's another the thriller writer who also lives in austin and uh he and his family can can bring over <laughs> a little potluck and <laughs> they can they can bring it in and uh, nice and amanda airward who is also another uh austin um austin a writer not a crime novelist but uh she's uh was her book the jet setters was a reese witherspoon's pick recently and uh they're just they're just adorable people that I'd love to spend an evening with. <laughs> nice. Let's see. So you. Uh, oh, and uh, at that dinner, I'm just curious, just because I'm always tuned into music. What would be playing in the background with that delicious wine and those fun people? <laughs> it's a Saturday night. It's summertime. Windows are open. Breeze. Tom Petty, the Beatles, Foo Fighters. Um, uh, some of the artists that uh, my husband Paul Shreve he uh, runs a, uh, a a small Americana music label, so we'd be playing some of uh, some of his artists, uh, Rebecca Lobby and Ray Prim, and uh, Radio Gunners, and uh, we'd uh, be sitting out on the porch and uh, talking about whatever the next book is we're going to write. I love it. Well. Thank you again for joining us. If people want to get hold of you, meggardner.com is probably the best way to do that, right? Correct. And you're going to keep us posted on when all your fabulous books are going to get turned into blockbuster movies and TV shows. I will. And I will keep you posted on the publication dates for the uh, upcoming novels. And uh, we'll keep going from there. You can find me on Twitter if you want, if you have suggestions for stupid crime (laughs) at meggardner1. Awesome. Meg, thank you so much for this time. It was my pleasure. Thanks for inviting me on. Big thanks to Meg Gardner for joining our podcast. Just delightful. And what a treat. And hey, if it hadn't been for the fact that she has so many irons in the fire, I'm pretty sure we could have talked for hours. If you haven't read her latest thriller, The Dark Corners of the Night, don't waste another minute. Snag a copy today. Okay, now a quick plug for our next special guest. On next Friday's Thriller Zone, you'll want to tune in to meet the brilliant and prolific thriller writer, Ted Bell. Tune in as we learn how he has managed to craft 11 consecutive New York Times bestsellers with the lead character, Alex Hawk, a dashing aristocrat many compare to James Bond. Please join me next week, whether on Spotify, Apple, Google Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast, for yet another episode of The Thriller Zone.